You're listening to the Jesus for Everyone podcast. To support this podcast, go to RenewedHeartMinistries.com and click Donate. And in other words, Jesus is saying those of you who are looking for a retributive feast where you are included to the exclusion of those that you've deemed unworthy, there will be so many from the east to the west included that you're not going to be able to emotionally cope with it. When you see who is welcomed, when you see who is affirmed, when you see how wrong you were about those you thought should be forbidden from sitting at the table with you, it's going to make you so angry. This is Herb Montgomery with Renewed Heart Ministries, and I want to welcome you to episode 217 of the Jesus for Everyone podcast. Our saying this week is replaced by people from East and West. Our featured text is Sayings Gospel Q 13, verse 29 and 28. Many shall come from sunrise and sunset and recline with Abraham and Isaac and Jacob in the kingdom of God. But you will be thrown out into the outer darkness, where there will be wailing and grinding of teeth. Our companion texts are Matthew 8, 11 through 12. I say to you that many will come from east and west and will take their places at the feast of a- with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. But the subjects of the kingdom will be thrown outside into the darkness. There will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Luke 13, 28 through 29, there will be weeping there, gnashing of teeth, when you see Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and all the prophets in the kingdom of God, but you yourselves thrown out. People will come from east and west and north and south and will take their places at the feast in the kingdom of God. The Sayings Gospel Q scholars, they titled this week's saying as replaced by people from east and west. And if I'd organized the sayings, I would have used the, I wouldn't have used the term Replaced, And as we'll see this week, it's not original to the text, and it has a long anti-Semitic history rooted in supersessionism. If you're unfamiliar, unfamiliar with what uh, supersessionism is, I'll put a link to it uh, that you can uh, read more about it on uh, this week's e-site. But by contrast, Jesus is saying is well-centered in the Jewish prophetic tradition of Isaiah. In Isaiah 25, 6 through 8, it says, And the mighty Yahweh will prepare for all the nations on this mountain a banquet of rich foods, a banquet of preserved wines, of spread out rich foods and preserved refined wines. And on this mountain he will swallow up the covering that is over all peoples, even the covering woven on all the nations. He will swallow up death forever, and the Lord Yahweh will wipe clean the tears from upon all faces, and the shame of all his people he will remove from upon all the earth, for Yahweh has spoken. In the prophetic tradition of Isaiah, this messianic feast, it's not prepared exclusively for the Hebrew people, but includes all the nations. And the apocalyptic Essenes of Jesus' society, they were looking for this banquet in their uh, end of the age and, and, and in their, uh, their, their writings of, they believe were contemporary for their, their, their time. They were expecting it in their time. They expected it to mark this end of the age, to mark the transition between the present age and the age to come, and I'll put some links to uh, some of their their documents that that have been uncovered 
among the Dead Sea Scrolls in uh, this week's Eastside 2, the rule of the congregation and the community rule. Um, both of those are worth looking at and trying to understand some of the societal cultural context of how this banquet was being interpreted in Jesus's day. And they understood this banquet both literally and they understood it metaphorically as, as it being definitive of the quality of the messianic age to come when all violence, all injustice, and all oppression would be put right in the earth. Matthew's gospel tellingly uh, tacks, uh, th- are saying this week on the end of the story about the centurion and his slave in Matthew 5 or 8, 5 through 10. And for, for, the Matthew, for Matthew's community um, and, the, and the community that Matthew is writing his gospel for, the centurion story, it could have been seen as evidence of how all the nations were to be included in Isaiah's feast. And if this is true, um, this would explain much about the inclusivity that his community hoped for. But let's talk about replacement versus exclusion for a moment. The Q community, um, I don't believe, they, they did not understand including Gentiles in their feast as an anti-Jewish move. And they didn't see all the nations being included only to replace the Jewish festival attendance. And in this saying, um, some are being excluded But there's a vast difference between a party for everyone that some are shut out of and a party meant exclusively for some whose original audience would be replaced by others. And and why does this even matter? The Pharisees included two schools of thought in Jesus' day. One was the school of Shammai, and it drew strict lines between Jews and Gentiles, and it was an effort to preserve um, their Jewish identity. And they also drew strict lines between those who, who practiced the Torah according to their school's interpretation of Torah and 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 those who did not, their fellow Jewish people who who did not practice Torah according to the way they said it should be practiced, they labeled them as sinners. And it's understandable that a people removed from their original land, held captive in foreign territories, and scattered abroad would regather um, and seek liberation. It's important to to, to protect um, others' heritage and, and their identity as a people, and w- especially when they're being erased by their oppressors and their oppressors' heritage and culture. But just like the indigenous people here on this continent or the Africans who were uprooted and enslaved and removed to colonial lands, the Jewish people were struggling desperately to preserve their own identities and their uniqueness among a people that were not like themselves and who dominated them. And the Jewish people living in the empires that subjugated them, think of Babylon and Assyria and and Greece and Rome, the Jewish people living in those empires um, were being dehumanized. And in that context, I can understand and even applaud the school of Shammai for focusing on their people's Jewish peculiarity. But, but how we preserve our identity and our heritage, it matters. And, and subjugators typically preserve and parade their identity through exceptionalism. In the United States, for example, American exceptionalism and the, and the doctrine of discovery, that was the soil out of which grew the destructive weed of, of manifest destiny. And, and these, 
dehumanizing philosophies. I'll put a link to each one of those. If you're unfamiliar with those terms, I'll put a link to those in the East site too. But these dehumanizing philosophies, they made genocide possible for the native peoples across the continent. And um, those for those who, who through slavery um, were violently brought here. And exceptionalism can also be a way for uh, the oppressed and the subjugated peoples to survive. Feeling superior or exceptional to those that are dominating you can be a way to resist. And this form of survival and resistance can also, though, be very unhealthy. Those under Roman domination in Jesus' society who, who began to look forward to a feast eventually imagined that feast not for all nations, but for their own vindication. And in that vision, the Messianic feast would be an event where oppressors would be excluded or even punished. In Ezekiel, at the Messianic banquet feast, very different than Isaiah's vision, uh, Yahweh turns the Hebrew people's enemies into food for predators, both of the, the sky predators and, and land predators. And this is uh, Ezekiel 39, 17 through 19. As for you, son of man, this is what the sovereign Lord says. Tell every kind of bird and every wild beast, assemble and come, gather from all around to my slaughter, which I am going to make for you. A great slaughter on the mountains of Israel. You will eat flesh and drink blood, and you will eat the flesh of warriors and drink the blood of the princes of the earth, the rams, the lambs, the goats, the bulls. And all of them, fattened animals of Bashan, you will eat fat until you are full and drink blood until you are drunk at my slaughter, which I have made for you. You will fill up at my table with horses and charioteers, with warriors and all the soldiers, declares the sovereign Lord. This was a feast where the enemies of the Hebrew people would be would be become the feast for for wild animals of of prey. Um, or predators, rather. In our, in our uh, 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 saying this week, Jesus seems to be addressing those in his time who were looking for a retributive feast, one more like Ezekiel's, than Isaiah's more inclusive and distributive and restorative feast. And, and those that were looking forward to a time of retribution who were so sure that they were superior to others around them uh, in our saying this week, Jesus is clear, they would be found not at the places of honor um, around a, a festival table, uh, but, but they would be excluded and shut out from the feast entirely. They would be found gnashing their teeth. And this proverbial phrase, gnashing of teeth, it doesn't mean you're in pain. It refers to a level of anger where you're kind of grinding your teeth that, that, that cause a person to clench their jaw and grind their teeth. And you can find that in, in Acts 7, 54. It's, it's just they're very angry. And in other words, Jesus is saying those of you who are looking for a retributive feast where you are included to the exclusion of those that you've deemed unworthy, like this Roman centurion in Matthew, uh, there will be so many from the east to the west included in my messianic feast that you're not going to be able to emotionally cope with it. When you see who is welcomed, when you see who is affirmed, when you see how wrong you were about those you thought should be forbidden from sitting at the table with you, it's going to make you so angry. In our saying this week, in the new world that's coming, if any are left in outer darkness, it won't be those that you believe don't measure up to your standards of respectability or virtue. It'll be you. You cannot accept uh, the welcome, the affirmation, the inclusion of those that you feel should be excluded, and you'll be excluded because you cannot accept those who are being accepted. 
And this was the same point of Luke's parable of the older brother in Luke 15, 1 through 2, and 25, 32. And it's it's Matthew's wedding banquet parable where the guest um, didn't want to be dressed the same as those that he felt superior to in Matthew 22, 8 through 11. And, and, and I'm happy to, to be able to say this week that before the end of the first century, the rabbis did choose the school of Hillel, um, and his earlier, more inclusive interpretations of the Torah. And I'll give you a link for more information on that too. And we've spoken about that in the past. But but one takeaway from this week's saying is that there are better ways to protect identities and heritages than exclusion. And, and our differences should be preserved and they should be celebrated. They should be acknowledged. And I believe they should be mutually valued And as each of us finds our place at the table and as we honor each person's voice in relationships of egalitarianism um, rather than than domination and subjugation, we can learn to listen to one another and and we can integrate the, the many experiences of life into a meaningful and coherent whole, not a homogenous mass, but a mosaic filled with beauty and diversity and variations. And, and lastly, this week we learn that exclusion is its own self-fulfilling prophecy. To hope for a world where certain ones are, are no longer there is to create a world where you yourself are no longer welcome. Uh, you, you get the world that you always wanted. The only catch is you'll be the only one. You, you'll be alone in, in the outer darkness in a world where exclusion itself is excluded. Exclusion won't be included in a world that is characterized by inclusion, by distributive justice, and characterized by peace. Does inclusion still provoke anger today? Uh, You bet it does. Over the last four years, Renewed Heart Ministries has become a more open, welcoming, affirming, and inclusive ministry, including for those who identify as LGBTQ. And boy, do I have stories to tell. The, the, The common thread through all of them is anger from those who are upset that we've made this shift. And while I'm saddened by the loss of those who've, who've, who have rejected and now exclude me and, and Renewed Heart Ministries in total, now I do take a small portion of comfort in the fact that at least we're in the right story. Solidarity breeds crosses. When you stand in solidarity with those that, that, that um, society is pushing to the edges, um, it, it does produce a cross, but the story of Jesus tells me that crosses can also be followed by resurrections. And when you practice inclusion of those whom others have inaccurately deemed as deserving exclusion, will some people get upset and angry with you? Absolutely they will. But, but we can take away from it this week uh, that we're to be of courage in those moments. This is simply your story becoming more aligned with the Jesus story itself. Remember, many shall come from some, many, many shall come from sunrise and sunset and recline with Abraham and Isaac and Jacob in the kingdom of God. And there will be wailing and grinding of teeth. That sings Gospel Q 13, 29 and verse 28. Heart group application this week. Remember, Jesus wasn't a Christian. He was a Jew. And recently I was introduced to the work of Rabbi Michael Lerner of the the uh, Beit Tikkun, San Francisco Bay Area Jewish Renewal Synagogue, um, who's dedicated to spiritual and social transformation. And, and the Jewish Jesus lived life at the intersection of faith 
and social justice in the first century. In the spirit of Tikkun Ulam, Rabbi Lerner, is, he's working today to develop intersections between Jewish faith and social transformation. And last week, Rabbi Lerner published a, a meditative piece, um, a, a writing that he titled Ten Commitments, kind of playing off the Ten Commandments. And, and he states, many of us find the notion of commandments oppressive and hierarchical, yet we know that a community cannot be built on the principle of only doing what feels right at the moment. It requires a sense of responsibility to each other. So we encourage our community to take on the following Ten Commitments, based roughly on a rereading of the Torah's Ten Commandments and incorporating the framework and many specific ideas articulated by Rami Shapiro in his book, Minion. Heart groups are also communities, and each one of you gather either on a weekly or monthly basis, and you're engaged in the work, hopefully, of healing our world too, what Tikkun Olam is all about. And the Jesus that we desire to follow, he grew up hearing teachings on these same Ten Commandments. So this week, as a group, I want you to read through Rabbi Lerner's Ten Commitments. I'll put the link to it in the e-site, and, and I want you to share um, which commitments speak out the most loudly to you, and then share with the group why. And for each person in the group, pick one of these. And, and spend some time over the next week contemplating and meditating on it, and then come back the following week ready to share your experiences of, of uh, how you put that into practice. And I'll, I'll let you in on the, the one that I'm practicing. I love the inclusivity and the respect of number three in, in learner's list. And, and, but, but I'm curious to, to find out which one speaks most loudly to you. To all of you who are listening, thank you for checking in with this week. Keep living in love. And may the teachings of this first century prophet of the poor uh, continue to inform your work of survival, of resistance, of liberation, restoration, and transformation till the only world that remains is a world where only love reigns. And as we say each week, thank you to each of you who are supporting this ministry. We we simply could not exist without you. If you're new to Renewed Heart Ministries, we're a not-for-profit group that's informed by the sayings and teachings of the historical Jewish Jesus of Nazareth, and we're passionate about centering our values and ethics and the experiences of those on the undersides and margins of our societies. And you can find out more about us by uh, going to RenewedHeartMinistries.com. In the top left, click on Home and go to Who is Renewed Heart Ministries. Um, Everything we do at Renewed Heart Ministries is done uh, with the purpose of making our resources as free as possible. And to keep them free, we need the help of people like you. If you'd like to support the work of Renewed Heart Ministries, you can make a one-time gift or you can become one of our monthly contributors by going to RenewedHeartMinistries.com and clicking on the Donate tab at the top right of the homepage. Or you can always make your uh, mail your contribution to Renewed Heart Ministries, P.O. Box 1211, Lewisburg, West Virginia, 24901. And make sure when you're on our website that you sign up for our all of the free resources that are there. We have a, a monthly newsletter that goes out as well, and there's just so much, much, much more. And all of your support helps. And, and remember, anything that we receive beyond our annual budget, we always pass on to other not-for-profits that are making both systemic and personal differences in the lives of those less privileged in the status quo. And for those of you, again, who are already supporting our work, thank you, thank you, thank you. I'm so glad you're with us on this journey. And remember, I love each one of you dearly. I'll see you next week.